Miri. This episode... I, I, th- I think I liked it a little better when I was growing up than I do now. Why is that? Mm, possibly because the whole... I, I, I mean, it, it's... It's one of those fascinations with post-apocalyptic worlds things that that you can get into a little bit. It's an interesting idea about how the how the how the planet <clears throat> managed to destroy itself basically. And there's lots of uh, dingy old buildings and ruined things and um, that, that that's that's interesting. Yeah, you know, it's 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 like Star Trek meets The Walking Dead or something like that. And, yeah, in a way. But uh, I I think I found that a little more more of a hook. Um, I didn't probably find myself as bothered by the parallel Earth business as much as as I do as I am now. I've I, that 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 whole thing is pretty pretty damn silly. And of course, the relationship with Miri and Kirk didn't i mean when i was 10 years old it didn't seem to be a problem you know you don't read into stuff like that as much but now it seems to be the way that kirk acts toward her seems a little you, you know too... for, for me it's just and, and i i sort of get what they're doing mm-hmm. you know in a way and and it, it's it, i i know they meant it to be harmless and kind of you know that he was trying to be friendly and everything else but it's just uh, just on the other side of being icky mm. the way the way it, you mean the, the relationship between kirk done. and mary yeah yeah because she she's still basically what 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 do you think her age is like 15 16 something like that yeah well young i mean, I mean right? the, because... the, the actress is older obviously but i mean i think the the thing that's a little bit off about it, and also Michael J. Pollard's character, who we, we can get to. Yeah, um, yeah. there's plenty probably, to go he's there. For, he's yeah. probably like 35. But, yeah, yeah, but the actor. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, so if the, the, the concept is that it's puberty that triggers the, the vulnerability to the, the plague, um, the puberty in girls usually happens earlier than, right? So if she's, right. if she's a, I mean, you know, maybe 13, I don't know. Um, but so that means that, that Michael J. Pollard is also playing, <laughs> supposed to be playing like a 13-year-old kid, which is... Yeah, and he's supposed uh, to be little... younger than Miri is. Yeah, he's supposed yeah. to be younger. Yeah. So, according, according to the, the dialogue. Um, I understand <laughs> why... I, I guess we don't need to talk about his casting and the reasons for it. Um, right. But it's it does like add a little bit of... Um, Un- unreality it feels like to the to the scenes with the kids yeah um yeah i do think though that i i always remember the feeling that the the scenes with the children were creepy and that hasn't really changed my, my impression of it mm-hmm. didn't really change i think they did a really good job of of trying to imagine what it would be like for kids to live hundreds of years and yet not mature you know mentally right. and um, yeah, I, I, and that's something I think is is spot on with with that, and the, the way they build build up a little bit of the tension before mm-hmm. you even see them, and yeah, yeah. Being, you know, Spock's having rocks thrown on him, yeah, and they're you know they're looking out these uh, dusty windows, and mm-hmm. there, there's some really good tension building and atmosphere that that happens there. 
that when we, and you know it's it's funny because that's they were also in uh, and the children shall lead, mm-hmm. um, try, trying to build a menace of children in a somewhat similar way, and it's it's amazing how much less effective it is, even though the in that that third season episode they're much more menacing. Or they should right. Be. They're actually capable of doing. Yeah, they're more. capable they're, of. Yeah, yeah. And then the one, the ones in Miri, not not really so much. But you mm-hmm. know that I agree that that's the case. But um, the interactions between the kids and just their general behavior behavior as kids um, came across better for me in Miri than it did in and the children shall lead. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, no question about it. They seem much I, I more was natural. just trying to point yeah. out that 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 even though the again the children are not literally a threat to the to the to the landing party, they they still because of the way it's done and is is so good that that's how much better it is. Then of course I'm comparing it to one of the worst episodes. Right. Yeah. And they do. <laughs> there's exactly really good there. season one. Really good storytelling. Like it's on on display in this episode because they everything is set up so carefully. Like the fat, like Spock says a couple of times, like they're like rats. You know, we we can't find them. They know their way around this so well, and that then we so we totally believe it when they're able to steal the communicators and the crew's unable to find them. You know, that that feels set up quite well uh, to me. And they they didn't resort to having. The, the the main characters make a dumb mistake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I I was thinking, well, why would you leave your communicators? Why wouldn't you just keep them in your pocket? Mm-hmm. But I was, I was sort of thinking that, but it didn't bother me too much. Yeah, and, and I I do like the uh, again, it's part part of that that setup that build up. That's that's really good. It's almost a, sh- a shame when s- some of the explanations come in because you know they don't quite hold up. But, uh, well, you know, it took, it did feel like, and I, I think you do have to like make some allowances for the, the viewing audience and, and the sort of degree of attention to which they're paying to all the exposition and stuff like that. But it did feel to me like they, it took them a little bit too long to figure, to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, it felt, it felt like the audience should be a step ahead of the crew, you know? And so sometimes in Star Trek I feel this way, but I, it felt just a little, to me, a little too drawn out. But on the other hand, there's we have a lot more sophisticated sort of science fiction knowledge and sort of, and we, we've seen many variations on this type of theme, you know, like trying to, pro, you know, life prolongation, plagues, you know, all these things that, so we could, watching it, we could put it together a lot more quickly than maybe the audiences in in 1966 could. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, um, science fiction in general was much less popularized in the 60s. So, um, I mean, Star Trek really was the first serious science fiction or at least semi-serious science fiction television show. Uh, yeah, I would say that that probably holds water. I, I'd agree, too. Yeah, it's uh, definitely you have to account for what 
as far as them bringing bringing the audience along. Yeah, and and I and I'm sure and we know from reading the these are the voyages books, which we talk about a lot, that the production people and writers were very aware of this too. Not not to mention all the you know other people in the middle, like the network folks and stuff like that, who would uh, really be kind of that check for making sure that the mainstream audience of network television in 1966 wasn't going to be left behind by the by the ideas and things like that <clears throat> which of, of, of course they they were i think they gave people you know quite a bit of credit but uh, yeah there 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 are limits and one of the things that uh struck me about uh these are the voyages is how um, well, well, they had a network rep there uh, on the production team who Robertson, uh, I think the guy's name. was pretty much the voice of the network um, to Roddenberry and the production team. Mm-hmm. And it, the description of his input uh, was that uh, he didn't really care about scientific accuracy. He didn't care about um uh making good science fiction he cared about what was going to get the biggest audience share well he yeah he was using <clears throat> the same metrics he would use for an episode of bonanza yeah yeah that that's that's that was his job and star trek was just a different spin on that you know that, yeah. that was his deal i th- you know and it seems very apparent that all the the science checking and everything that went through that one uh, consulting agency, they would constantly send scripts to that. That was all stuff they did not have to do. Right. Yeah. They, that, that was something the, the, the showrunners really were the ones we can thank for doing that. Yeah. And that, uh, that consultant, uh, group, uh, was called the Rand corporation. Hence, was it the Rand Corporation? Was it the Rand Corporation? The Rand Corporation, yeah. Oh, I thought they had a different name. Huh. Nope. Okay. And, and speaking of Janice Rand, this was the last episode <laughs> that featured her. Hmm. She was subsequently fired, and uh, in her autobiography, she said that uh, somebody who she would not name but called the executive tried to rape her. Hmm. I don't see how that yeah. could not have yeah. been Ronberry, but maybe uh, it was. Exactly. Yeah. Is that right? Some, so there's some bad it wasn't there. That executive was not named in uh, in William Shatner's description of that account. But you think that that you've read other things that suggest that it was Roddenberry himself. Well, I mean, not some other executive. Grace Lee Whitney wrote in her autobiography that um, somebody who she would simply call the executive mm. uh, tried to rape her. And given that Roddenberry was the executive producer, I, I guess it could have been somebody uh, huh. from the from the network, um, or somebody with Desilu. That that's possible. Well, that's what. But but uh, knowing, what, knowing Shatner, what we yeah. know about Gene Roddenberry is uh, um, 
Hammonds. He was a womanizer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He that, was. That, I mean, obviously, that that's where your your mind goes first. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, we'll never and, know. And 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 I know that. Uh, I think Shat Shatner. You know, refused to, to to name anything like that, and I, I think at least the way he's quoted in this book is that. You know, there was you know there was nothing wrong with her performances. Yeah. Even even though there there are other people that say yeah she wasn't, uh, wasn't performing well or maybe it was uh, line readings or other things, just you know normal legitimate reasons why she would be let go, or yeah. or not or not put in a story. Well, apparently, um, she also suffered from depression and substance abuse, so. Yeah, and it could be that it's all true, or that even if one section of it is true, that would explain why she made such an exit from the show. But uh, then, then again, sometimes I, you get this feeling watching these early episodes, they're they're obviously building something in with the character that never has a chance to pay off. Yeah, and I don't know if it would have been better for Kirk to have had a long-running shipboard love interest like that because that that seemed to be what they were kind of going for even if it was something that was not even if it was something along the lines of chapel and spock or something like that well you know the um just from a, a believability standpoint i mean can you i mean starfleet was at least paramilitary and therefore you know, the Enterprise was a military ship. Could you suggest, uh, uh, like, uh, the captain of a of the the Nimitz, the aircraft carrier, having an affair with a crew member? I mean, believably, I the the idea of Kirk having a long term uh, relationship with a female crew member doesn't doesn't ring true to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, could you see the, uh, just a contemporary comparison, uh, could, uh, if there were a TV series about, um, the USS Nimitz, the aircraft carrier, right? right could you, right. could you, uh, purport, <coughs> sorry, could you purport the captain of the Nimitz having a toward relationship with one of the crew members, one of the female crew members. Okay, so first of all, does that ha- actually happen? Yes. It, it happens within the military all the time. But would it be portrayed as something that was open and um, absolutely not because it's it's uh, a crime. It, the, the, it's a court-martial the, offense. The, cap- the captain would be court-martialed for fraternization. And so, right. and it's, and there are good reasons for it. You know, it interferes with the unit cohesion, it interferes with the chain of command. And, and it's, so it could be that this is Gene's, like Gene Roddenberry's sort of fantasy version of the military where all those things are sort of, because everybody's more enlightened, you know, or whatever, or that people can separate those things and still serve together. Or, or Gene, Gene thinking... I fucked around at work. Why can't Kirk? Yeah, maybe. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, yeah um, you're that, absolutely right, Eric, that it would never it would never be open in the way that it is presented. 
you know, I've always wanted you to look at my legs now. Um, so yeah. that, but you're, you're absolutely right. Um, that's an excellent point, I think. And, and, and it just comes back to the point that, I mean, it, this is all hindsight, of course, but it's almost a relief when she's not on the show anymore. Because it's, it, in these early episodes, she's kind of a distraction because she is given some time, at maybe at the expense of some of the other characters that did hang around. So you, you can't help yeah. but can't think... Help her. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they they'd taken her out and given Uhura or che- or not Chekhov, but Sulu maybe a little more to do that might have been better. Yeah, you, you can speculate all you want, but it's crazy. So let's talk about um, Michael J. Pollard. <laughs> okay, <laughs> who who actually I did not. I was going to say I did not realize this, but he was actually nominated for an Academy Award. For an Oscar. Yeah, that's right. I remember for that. his for role what? in for his role in Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. Oh which, yeah, which just a year we just later. Recently watched that. Actually, it's a year later. Yeah, he's and he plays almost the same character. <laughs> yeah, uh, a real doofus. The um, he was also he's much more uh, one of the actors that they considered for uh, Charlie in Charlie X. Uh, can you imagine that? Oh, uh, it would have been so. Different. I'm trying to. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, bizarre. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that I I have to say. And we we compare modern television to Star Trek and it it's period brethren all the time and it's not always fair. But one of the things I've noticed over the years is that I th- I think in TV and movies that child actors are a hell of a lot better now than they were then. In, uh, by in and my, large, in my, in my opinion. They 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 seem to I mean the ones you see on TV now are 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 just a lot better overall. Yeah, it's. it's I think there's been. Remarkable. I there's a, probably a few explanations for it. One is that they are just, um, the prof- professionalization of child actors is much more widespread. So they, it's easier to get to cast someone who's already has experience, um, doing a lot of different things, doing a lot of work, even someone who's young, you know. Right. And the other thing is I think that the um, the expectations are just higher. So it just used to be like you could have like the horrible little um, producer's kid or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And just yeah. get away with it. And, or like the, whoever the poor, poor child was who was cast as Dick Van Dyke's son on the Dick oh, Van Dyke God. show. Or, or never mind about little Ricky. Or little Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> He's horrible. Yeah. No, no. Horrible. Um, what's his name on Dick Van Dyke? Uh, yeah. What's the kid's name? Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. It's been too so long awful. since I've seen that show. Oh, but he's he's all he's one of the few flaws in that show. Yeah. But whenever there's a show where he has much to do, he, he just ruins every scene he's in. And, and I love Opie the and... that show. I really do. So what about Opie in the um, the Andy Griffith show? Oh, Ron show? Howard was okay. Yeah, I didn't watch Andy Griffith very much, so I can't really comment on the Alvura, but. He, uh, hey, he's good. He, 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 he's in the Music Man, for God's sake. <laughs> Thump and thrill. They made a reference to that in one of the Happy Days episodes. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. No, no. I mean, there are exceptions. You know, you obviously there were some, some good ones, but even compared to the ones that were around in say the 1980s in movies and stuff, are not nearly as good. 
Mm. Maybe yeah, in Will true. Wheaton. What? <laughs> in what? I'm just joking. Will Wheaton. Ah. <laughs> ah, that is a fun subject. But yeah, the the the, the children in this are are just kind of average, I guess. I, they most of them don't leave much of an impression. Two of them were Shatner's daughters. That's right. Is that right? Oh. His oldest there's, and there, there's a great example of how things were often done, I think. Oh, there's no connection between him being the star of the show and his daughter's getting cast. <laughs> no. Um, Not at all. But the children, I, I think the children generally work well. They they can't, whoever the boy was, who's the, the other boy who, who has... Bonk Bonk on the head? Yeah, Bonk Bonk on the head. I don't know what his Mr. character Lovey name Dummies is. But, yeah. but he was... That was good casting because they're you know they they did cast these these two boys with these kind of distorted features you know so I mean yeah God bless them um, and it sort of does kind of underscore the the idea that it's sort of this distorted version of childhood and so I it helps you kind of buy into it and then they're all wearing they're either wearing weird wigs or they're wearing like army helmets <laughs> and so that's sort of yes. Yeah. So I one thing that I've one theme that I've sort of identified in our prior podcasts about later episodes, and so it's fun fun to go back and see the kind of origins of. So Charlie X is I guess was the first sort of youthful rebellion episode, really. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the probably the second one, and it's it's more about societal. It's more societal than it is personal, but it's it's a a real kind of this was a very important topic of the day is what this what is wrong with our children what is wrong with this generation of youth and they're rebelling against us and what does this mean you know and how do we deal with youthful rebellion was like a was very much a a night it was sort of this sort of this kind of it's how they why they were able to conjure up this kind of nightmare scenario this sort of horror scenario of children on you know on with no adults around and so it's really, it feels like it's very a present concern in a way that I feel like it's not today for us. Like we don't, we don't go around thinking like, oh, kids, you know, the youth of today are going to destroy society and they don't, they don't listen to us. And like, nobody thinks that, right? Michael J. Pollard is wearing an like pseudo army uniform or yeah, jacket right. or something like that. Right. That kind of, then that, that has this little Vietnam protester mm. kind of thing. You're totally yeah, right. Visual totally to right. it that that yep. I'm sure you, the audience could easily see. It's like, oh, he's a teenager and he's mocking, mocking the war. Well, you know, but the thing about that is, this was 1966, and really Maybe that's the a little early for that. So. Yeah, and I mean, there are there are thinking. already uh, demonstrations going on at this point. I mean, it was the really big ones were a couple years away, but. But you're right that I mean, but there were things. Already, the protest movements were were definitely a part of the university scene and so forth at this point. And somebody somebody made a deliberate choice to have him costumed in that way. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that was an accident. I didn't think. Um, so, so go I, ahead. I have one question for you guys. Yes. Uh, when we were talking about uh, the nature of this uh, this malady, it uh, well, let me back up. Have both of you seen uh, Firefly, the the series, and uh, Serenity, the follow up movie? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. Doesn't it strike you that the explanation of how the Reavers came to be in Serenity actually bears uh, not inconsiderable resemblance to the situation in Mary? Um, yeah, I think you could draw a few similarities there. Sure. You know what, Eric? I actually thought of that myself as I was watching it. So you and I had the same reaction. So I think there is something to it. And I, I'm yeah. a little bit hazy now on what the, the, the experiment in the Firefly universe that, that resulted in the Reavers, what, what they were trying to accomplish with that. I thought they were trying to accomplish the sort of happiness make everybody content and happy or was it life prolongation uh i or think just it was no, the yeah, former no disease or okay something. Yeah. okay no disease yeah getting rid of making people well, what i recall recall is that it was uh uh some kind of drug that they hoped would uh create some kind of utopia not unlike uh um the side of paradise uh, mm-hmm. You know what the spores did in that, uh, except uh, when they actually tested it on live humans, uh, they had one of two things happen: it either sent them to one or the other extreme, and the the violent extreme were the reavers, and the the other extreme were well, they just pretty much sat down and died mm. because they had absolutely no motivation to do anything at all. Mm. That's my recollection. Anyway, I, I just thought that was an interesting... <clears throat> no, that, that, that's... A lot of the stuff just comes around again, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So what about the rest of the, 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 the plot, of the story, the way the, the, the drama is laid out? One thing I've never understood about this is Mm -hmm. why was it necessary to create an exact duplicate of Earth? Why, why did they do that? Well, I'm I'm obviously part of it's practical that it's an easy explanation and why they're filming on a movie studio backlot. Okay. But they don't use that explanation when in other episodes where they film in similar sets. Like Return yeah, of the Archons, and, for example, or something. Yeah, Archons, right. they, don't, they don't say that. They don't say it in, you know, even Patterns of Forest and other episodes like that. So my guess is, that, and I don't remember this being discussed in the These Are the Voyages books, but my best guess about this is that they were, these first se- several set of episodes were, the special effects were constantly, um, they were behind schedule. And so my guess is that they thought, well, we can... F- we can just use a globe or we can use some sort of pre-existing prop as a way of a shortcut to our visual effects for the planet. And, and I that, think there was some, yeah, yeah there's some, yeah, that's obviously true, Rob, but there is, I remember some discussion going on around the very beginning of first season that Roddenberry actually, floated this as a legitimate idea for the series that there were these parallel planet ideas yeah well yeah. Put parallel worlds but i didn't yeah. i didn't know that he that it was meant to be that um literal on the nose. Like parallel earth yeah. on the nose yeah, yeah. i right. maybe it was though maybe that was like he wanted to introduce this idea and so that was 
that was the reason. That's interesting. It, it wasn't my impression. And, you know, as far as uh, special effects go, uh, they simply could have said, uh, like in Bread and Circuses, for instance, they said that uh, uh, the gravity was almost the same, uh, the ratio of water to landmass was the same uh, as on Earth, but it didn't, the, the shape of the continents and everything didn't match. And there's, I mean, they already had their, their planet shots. They wouldn't have had to do anything special other, you know, other than just establish, you know, in terms of physical environment and, you know, makeup, this planet is very similar to Earth. Right. Yeah, it does seem it does seem unnecessary and, and silly. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's a legitimate complaint. Yeah. That doesn't hold up well. Well, just another disbelief that has to be suspended. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Any misogyny we want to discuss? Oh, uh, one thing I was going to mention is that uh, the girl who, or the... The actress who played Mary uh, was, and let me look up her name, um, Kim Darby, I believe it was, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, she was also the female lead in the original version of True Grit with John Wayne. That's right, I remember seeing that once. Yeah. Huh, funny. Yep. Who, who was also quite a bit older. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> That may be even... Uh, that makes my skin crawl even more, actually. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't really remember, remember their ha- them having a relationship, but... I don't know. The Duke. Yeah. Well, anything else? Oh, oh go ahead. Here, here's an interesting thing I just saw in uh, Memory Alpha. Um, the little red-haired boy... Yeah. Um, who played, uh, well, he didn't even have a name, hmm. is Steve McEvity. McEvity. However you the director's it. son. Well, hmm. nephew. Or, okay. Or Ma- McEvity or... McEvity or, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Another, but uh, clearly not another case of nepotism. No, no, no. That never happened. Never at all. Hmm. Um... What, so what about the speaking of misogyny corner? What about the um, sh- you're you're a woman now stuff? You you'll be a woman Those soon, or whatever talks. that kind of little things Girl, about you'll be Gary a Puck woman and the Union Gaps. Shatner could have said um, that. <laughs> is that condescending? Is that is she treated? Um, is she treated condescendingly? I mean, and Kirk asks her to. Sharpen pencils and, or is that just? Well, it's it's. Is some he of trying it, to yeah, that's her... that's why I, I find it that that whole, inter, all the interchanges with Kirk and Miri to be troubling, is because it it goes jumps back and forth between this, icky flirtatious, you know. Oh no, you're a woman <laughs> business, <laughs> and 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 the whole like. You know, I know you're a child. I'm going to give you something to do, or some mm-hmm. kind of a role model, or guidance and things like that. That you know, it, it's a weird parallel thing that's going on there. That that I I, I just it rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. 
Well, I wouldn't disagree. You, you know, I mean, it's it, now what? What if uh, what if Michael J. Pollard had uh, been the one who needed some adult guidance or something like that? It would have been. I bet it would have been written completely different. True. Well, yeah, and the whole thing that. with um, Janice Rand saying, so, you know, I was used to try to get you to look at my legs. Well, look at him now. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, if that isn't yeah, stereotypic yeah. sexist uh, well, yeah. um, vanity, you know. It's like that, that's, her, that's her concern. She's dying. <laughs> well, it isn't, and, and, I don't know, not literally her concern. But yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's some of it is like, oh, I'm so ugly. Instead of like, I'm literally going to go insane and die and right right it's the parallel to that would be <laughs> back to and the children shall lead oh yeah when, when, when the, oh, yes. I don't know why i keep going back to this it's because fucking kids is that that when uhura has her her demons and all that it's about her losing her looks and getting old yeah and getting yeah old, right <laughs> you know? yeah so, so that that's the uh that's, that's the that, worst that's the thing yep that, that's, that's the, actually the an echo of i mud too yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, is. you're right. You're right. Ugh. One other, um, just f- final note about this episode, since it involves children, is and, and unsupervised children, is that it just watching this episode as a parent is <laughs> is different. I was wondering when you were going to mention that. Yeah. And it, um, for some reason, it makes that scene. I think I always thought the scene where they they first encounter the adult who's you know gone crazy and he his says yeah. that his trike is broken i always found, found that so disturbing and sad and um yeah it struck it just struck me as being especially sad being a parent i don't know why in some ways it's it's kind of over the top but it, it's it's really over the top but yeah i i know what you mean rob i i think it's uh it it, it does have this kind of awfulness to it as well mm. He doesn't really understand what's going on, happening to him. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, another comparison just occurred to me, and that's uh, Lord of the Flies. Oh, yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, why... uh, Well, here's a, a question. Why was Lord of the Flies so brilliantly effective and disturbing, whereas this is more just... Well, I mean, it's it's not a bad episode, and I mean, the, the points are well taken, but, uh, well, you know, comparing an episode of Star Trek to a work of literature, I mean, that that's really not fair, but um, what was it about this episode that didn't make it as chilling and believable as Lord of the Flies? I guess um, I would I would just say that just offhand that that there's not nearly enough development or or what what the what the kids you know what happens to them normally or what they do and how they live things like that it's that's pretty thinly sketched i think because we have they have to spend much more of the focus on the on the landing party yeah and so that, that 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 i mean from a practical standpoint there just isn't enough character time to really build that you know that that world where the, that they live in that could if you, if you did it right be just as lord of the flies like it as you want yeah rob what do you think um 
It's a tough one. I mean, I think I, I think we don't have enough time to um, to see how these relationships really play out. Um, there's a bigger. I mean, just comparing this to Lord of the Flies, there's a much bigger range of ages too, and so it's you have it makes sense to have, you know, um, one character being the leader who's the oldest, you know, and so forth, and so. I'm not sure that it's it's exactly a parallel situation. Plus, you have the idea, this whole like idea that they're hundreds of years old, um, makes things a little bit different. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But you know the the thing about that and is that if they were hundreds of years old, they would have even being children, they would have a much more uh, developed and probably sophisticated society among them, even being children. Uh, because to me, that's uh, th that's the problem I had with at least the, the original series and probably into Next Gen too, had with their portrayal of children. I mean, again, not to rag too much on uh, And the Children Shall Lead, but one of the real problems I had with that episode among many, is that the the portrayal of the children, particularly the older children, was so far off from anything that's believable that it, it was laughable, you know, like in there playing Ring Around the Rosie and, you know, a, like a 13 oh, yeah, or 14-year-old kid. And yeah. here, it's not quite that bad, but still, you know, it, it was kind of like... Um, well, they're they're very passive. Uh, well, you know, they're very passive. To actual and, kids. I mean, you look at a, a group of pre-adolescent kids, and they're not all going to, especially in a group that big, they're not going to get along well at all. They're going to be fighting and and trying to, well, probably trying to kill each other. Actually, like in Lord of the Flies, and they have they showed no, really, no signs of conflict whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, Lord of the Flies is, uh, you're right, because they do, the kids do form, despite how it all goes wrong, they do form their own society, their own government, you know. And it um, didn't take that long. No, it didn't take long at all, yeah. Right, factions, things like that. Yeah. Kids, kids do that, you know, without this situation. Mm -hmm. Right. And if they'd had hundreds of years, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It, yeah, and and that's that's maybe one of the really sad things about this episode is that you know here they had a chance to see how if kids lived in a pre-adolescent state for a hundred or two hundred or three hundred years, where would uh, you know those societies and those hierarchies that you know you you go out to a playground and you see it. Uh, how would those have developed? Would they have been more sophisticated? Would they have killed each other off? You know what? Well, now that, that, that you're totally right, Eric. But I have to, I have to wonder: is that kind of um, exercise? Is that something that was would have been out of reach for this show at this time? Given Probably what so. We know about, yeah, given what we know about the situation budgets 
what and, and all the the, the, the time the heavy censorship yeah, yeah time constraints yeah. editorial things they had to do probably was not going to be realistic no no it wouldn't have been but yeah you're um, right you're right i mean it's it, it in some ways it is a lost opportunity yeah but yeah, yeah. interesting i don't know just speculation right can't show kids getting beat up on television no especially in the mid 60s that would have been <laughs> well, you could show that you can show captain show. kirk getting bonked on the head or on the or that, the well, that that's always okay yeah yeah hell i'd watch captain kirk get bonked on the head in church <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, um, okay Bonk bonk. <laughs> Anything else you guys want to add to this, or do you want to wrap it up? No, I'm good. I think we're good. Good. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Have you have you guys seen The Martian yeah. yet? Yes, I no. did. I thought it was good. Have you guys read the book? No, I've heard that. That's also good. Yeah, I'd read it if I were you. Um, I will. And the movie actually uh, followed it well. Uh, it cut out some of uh, Mark's uh, trials and tribulations, uh, but that's understandable. I, I mean, it right. didn't detract from the story. And the ending uh, was a little different. I won't spoil it for okay. you, Rob, but... Yeah. I'll oh, okay, yeah. No, I'm, I'm really excited to see it. It's just hard to get to the movies these days, but... It's definitely yes. on the list. Of, I still haven't even seen... Um, uh, plus, when, when I, we do watch movies, it has to be a compromise. And anything with with anything space-related in the title, Neha automatically <laughs> like cringes. So Beatles. If I say, hey, why don't we watch uh, Interstellar? She's like, nothing having to do with space. So Even though it's got that hunky Matthew Mahoney. Well, yeah, no, yeah, no, actually that I feel like that might be the reason. But yeah, actually once she found out that Matt Damon was in in The Martian, she was like, Oh, oh okay, yeah. I'll see it if Matt Damon's yeah, and, and, in. And well, Matt Damon's in Interstellar too. Yeah. Oh he is. Yeah, oh, he is. Okay. Much go. much smaller role, but he is in it. Yeah, okay, yeah. so that's a good reason to he's watch. Al- that he's one. also stranded on a planet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> that's that's his new that's his new uh yeah. Typecasting. He's getting rescued. <laughs> All right, oh, gents. I will. Let's uh, call it a night. We'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Good night, guys. Good night. Take it easy, guys. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.